everybody and welcome to the Maya Minds podcast. I'm your host George and here at Maya Minds we want to demystify mental health and make sharing mainstream within the exercising and sporting community. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Just before we get started, I want to remind you that here on the My Minds podcast, we do often talk about eating disorders, body dysmorphia, exercise addiction, suicide, and other potentially triggering topics. Usually in the description below, I will write down what we talk about specifically in this episode. That being said, I do hope you enjoy this, but please do be careful. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the My Minds podcast. I, as always, am your host, George, and today I'm here with Katie. Hi, Katie. How are you? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am good. As we we said off recording just um, briefly, I've had an incredibly stressful day, but I'm feeling good now. I've had some chill. Um, For the listeners at home, today I came face-to-face with taxes for the first time in my entire life. Um, running a, a business as um, as I have done and having to deal with all that stuff is not fun. Doesn't sound fun at all. <laughs> it's just, it's like, it's the it's the becoming a grown-up moment. Like when I, I'm not looking forward to like my first like electricity bill or water bill, I'm just going to be... Not good. <laughs> it's a scary thing to face. I think we when, when you're younger, you see adults uh, like as people these like oh they know like i'm 24 i'm turning 25 in maths eight days um and i <laughs> when i was like 12 a 25 year old knows ev- knows exactly what they're doing oh absolutely and now i'm 25 and i'm like shit <laughs> i mean i have no idea what i'm doing so i'm glad you're in the same boat <laughs> yeah i think everyone is i think um yeah you just i suppose when you're younger you you perceive everyone as as having to grips with everything but um here we are here we are anyway enough about the the wonders of of life um thank you so much for coming on katie i wanted to um to get you on because I was listening to your podcast on the full of beans podcast. Shout out to Hannah, everyone here, go check out that podcast. It's amazing. Um, I believe you're friends with Hannah. Is that right? Is that how you know each other? Yeah. Yeah. We met um, at UCL. We both did our um, masters there. So yeah. That's uh, okay. There. So did you do the same masters as her? Very similar. Um, she went down the eating disorder strand um, and I stayed with, um, clinical nutrition and public health so I did more of the public health side but we sort of shared half the course was shared and half the course was different so very similar yeah okay okay that's cool I did my master's in um, performance nutrition so I know a bit about nutrition but not quite clinically um but yeah it's very interesting it's cool that you you both kind of found each other there and then it's come to this podcast um so I loved I loved your podcast with her and as I said to everyone here um please do go listen. And, and on that podcast, you spoke about your experiences with anorexia nervosa. And I wanted to talk about that with you today. Um, so to kind of get things started, could you tell people you know, where your eating disorder began? How did it first come about? Um, so it is quite hard to pinpoint, I think. But for me, it was a very slow beginning process, which I think is one of the reasons why it is quite hard to pinpoint. Um, however, I think a pretty sort of major event in my life, um, I had back surgery um, back in 2012. Um, before that, I was very, very active. Um, I used to play tennis, netball. I used to dance. I used to anything, really. Um, so when I was, it would have been when I was 15, I had major back surgery um which meant I was had to rest and was very inactive for the next sort of six months Mm. um before that time I can honestly say I took no interest in the way I looked didn't I had sort of no thoughts positive or negative surrounding the way I looked um it wasn't anything I really considered and I also remember sort of being at school and I always used to be very very slim um, I suffered sort of really bad with anxiety before then, which mm. sort of meant I was burning a lot of energy and sort of always sort of struggled to put on weight. Um, so I was always very, very slim and people would comment on my weight being like, oh, Katie, you're so, so skinny. 
and even then I, I honestly didn't even register what that comment meant to me if you know what I mean so um pre-back surgery no sort of opinions either way um so yeah so following the back surgery I then had about six months of being very very inactive um Mm. during that time um as I guess a lot of girls go through a lot of sort of development things your body changes so when I sort of sort of came out the other side of recovery um I just began to notice thought oh I just don't feel like I feel the same way in clothes anymore I felt like I was very unfit which was completely sort of reasonable seeing as I hadn't done much exercise um and this was sort of you know sort of carried on for over the next sort of year I guess um so in sort of I guess sort of air quotes here in a sort of normal way I guess I went about it so as in I thought okay I'm going to start eating a bit healthier because I think I got into sort of you know unhealthy eating habits I'm going to start doing some exercise so that's how it started straight away um and at first I would say hand on heart very innocent in the sense that I wanted to just get a bit fitter and just feel generally a bit healthier yeah Um, and I I wanted just sorry to butt in but um I I kind of uh, I'm I want to say I'm happy to hear that obviously I'm not but I'm happy because it's really similar to my story um yeah. and I wanted to talk a little bit just before we go on about the fact that I I also had back surgery when I was younger and I same as you I was very sporty beforehand I played rugby I played football I played basketball I played all sorts of sports and then I, I got a fracture in my back um and it and it kind of it broke all the way through during a um a moment in a rugby game and I had to have surgery on my back and I um, couldn't you know do any exercise for months and I gained I gained like a significant amount of weight and that led to this the like exactly the same as you beforehand I can't remember ever worrying about my physique at all and then afterwards it just started to creep in um yeah. can like I guess my question is when you know when can you remember that progression like for me it was I remember I came out and I had gained some weight and my I started to think my I think I think someone mentioned it at school just like an off comment um and then I started to you know I I guess the same as you I started to notice that clothes fit differently um yeah and then that led to this uh, I guess when I started exercising I attached those comments and those um you know, that that perception of my clothes being a bit tighter or not fit in the same way as normal to or if I exercise maybe I can change this or if I eat less maybe I can change this was it was it similar with you like I, I guess yeah like did did you did you gain weight after the surgery and stuff and you know how, how did that all tie in together with you um so I guess yeah I did gain weight after surgery it was it was a bit of a funny one to be honest because um so as I said I I suffered really bad from anxiety um I was actually diagnosed with OCD when I was in about year nine um Mm. and the anxiety surrounding that meant that um I burned as I said just burnt so much energy through sort of stress I guess um and was very obsessive over things um and a lot of my energy was spent mentally thinking about things or um doing things through habit and you know it was just not a great time to be honest um so I think I went in to I guess into the back surgery being very very slim um with quite a lot of anxiety and I also grew really really quickly so I'm quite a tall girl I'm 5'10 and I grew really really quickly Mm. um which also meant that I sort of shot up and was like a bean pole um initially when I was in hospital um I was sort of I had this major back surgery was in a lot of pain um mm. and wasn't particularly well in hospital in the sense that they had a bit of trouble managing my pain um which meant that for the majority of the time I just didn't eat and I all the drugs I was on meant I slept for yeah. pretty much majority of was in hospital which meant that actually I lost weight when I was in hospital um so that was sort of an alteration but again I genuinely didn't even notice that it was only that my sort of mum would say oh goodness yeah you've you sort of lost weight and but not in a not in a judgmental way very much just a comment um and then I think it was a tie-in with I could only have my back surgery once I'd stopped growing so um I had it was it's called idiopathic adolescent scoliosis so 
idiopathic meaning they don't know what causes it adolescence meaning it happens during adolescence and scoliosis is the curvature of the spine so mine was a planned surgery um and they could only really do it once i'd stopped growing because i've had a a spinal fusion um so they have to wait till you stop growing um so after this operation i had a stopped growing so sort of all the fuel i guess that i was consuming um before was very much sort of fueling my growth, I guess. Mm. And now that had sort of changed naturally as it all happens to everyone. Um, then it went to not exercising. Um, and I guess then just sort of puberty, I guess, just bodily changes that happen yeah. to everyone. Yeah. Um, so it, it was not like, a, it wasn't, to be honest, anything that drastic. Mm. Um, and I, I think it also sort of tied into my age in the sense that at 15, 16, you start getting a few more freedoms. You're more likely to go out with your friends and go out for meals and you have more food choices. And I guess like so many 15, 16 year olds, when you have the chance to go to the shops with your own money and buy what you want, you do. And Mm. I guess I was just, again, I say naturally because it's just such a natural process. You buy what you want. You fancy a packet of crisps, fancy a chocolate bar, you go for it. And there was nothing abnormal about my behavior. But I mm-hmm. think because I went, I was also being very inactive, there was a change in my lifestyle, which meant I put on this weight. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't ever remember, there wasn't really a time where I was thinking, oh God, I'm putting on weight. I think he had just, I think it was very much, it dawned on me that I think I went, I think it was actually much, when I went to visit universities, um, mm-hmm. We, I was walking around with my dad and I realised how unfit I was trying to walk up a hill. And yeah. I was like, oh my goodness, like that's a bit ridiculous. Was that in Durham by any chance? It was. Yeah, it famous was the, for its hills. <laughs> oh my goodness, absolutely. Actually, the um, hill up to the science department, yeah. um, which is horrific. Yeah. For anyone that's been to Durham or goes to Durham, you will know it's horrific. Yeah. Um, and I honestly could hardly breathe the time I got to the top. And I was like, that's ridiculous. Like, you know, back in the day, I could have run up this hill like five times. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so again, a combination of sort of all of that. Um, it wasn't, I was lucky, I guess, in the sense that the weight wasn't drastic enough that I didn't receive any comments. And it was mm-hmm. very much my own. I decided that I wanted to just be a bit fitter, eat a bit healthier. Um so yeah, that's that's kind of where it started. Yeah. And again, like I said, it was very, I don't want to use the word innocent because it sounds like it's all wrong to think otherwise, but I was just in a natural sense of I want to feel fitter, I want to eat healthier, I'm going to do something about it. Yeah, you know? I think that's a really important um, thing to to distinguish there is the fact that, you know, it, I think people often mistake that people who have eating disorders, like just go, Oh, you know, I immediately just like, I want to be mega skinny or, you know, I want to, you know, whatever. And it's not often it is um, a slow progression. It starts off as a a healthy choice, you know, in in air quotes there, but um, yeah. So, so yours seems more kind of internalized. You, you, mine was very external, like people's views on me and stuff and yours started very internal. Um, So, so, when did this how did this healthy change um how did that start to attach itself onto these like disordered beliefs like do, do you know how that happened um so i guess it is really tough isn't it because it mm. well in my experience it happens so sort of gradually um which i guess also makes detecting it very hard for others because when it happens so slowly you don't necessarily notice anything drastic. Um, I, I do, and it sounds really funny, I do have this memory of when I had decided that I wanted to do exercise, I used to go to, my mum used to go to these dance classes and I used to go with her and it was literally once a week. So again, nothing drastic about this exercise. I just, I would walk to school and I'd go to this dance class, loved it. Um, but I would still go home every night and have, you know, mum would always buy sort of crunchy bars or twirls or something and I'd still go home and have my crunch bar and my twirl and at that point that sounds a bit of a bizarre sort of thing to say what I mean by that when I was at my worst that was nothing I would not even dream of doing that you know Mm. because when I was at my worst it was very much I'm exercising I'm trying to lose weight so at that point it was sort of 
I was just going with the flow, did some exercise, sort of ate what I fancied. So at that point, nothing restrictive, nothing in the way of disordered eating. Um, but I guess just as time went on, I've said this in previous podcasts and yeah. I've, I've said it to friends and family. I know I have quite an obsessive personality. Mm. Um, I think it mainly stems from OCD. Yeah. Um, and I know that I, I know that that can't, it's not always good. Mm-hmm. And I think once I sort of started getting into habits of healthy eating, having to think about what I was eating rather than just being served it on a plate from my mum or, you know, um, sort of combined with getting to the age where, you know, you make your own packed lunch for school and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you start going out with friends for dinner or mum and dad aren't home, so you make your own dinner. All of those sort of contributing factors where I suddenly had more decisions to make and more control over what I ate made me more controlling if that makes sense um so sort of again a very gradual process but I think I just you know the more I got into this sort of healthy eating and exercise the more I carried on Mm. and there there was not necessarily a trigger it was honestly I think just my the obsessive nature of my personality and I sort of just kept running with it and kept going with it and I guess when I saw that I was losing weight it it felt good and I thought okay and you know it it sort of just progressed from there it it was it's quite difficult to pinpoint I think it kind of sounds like um there's a a, uh, I'm not sure where I've read this before but it's a phenomenon called debting behavior where Mm -hmm. um exercise and disordered eating beliefs kind of reinforce each other so I exercise a bit more or it's made a change. Oh, if I eat a bit less as well, then that's going to make yeah. even more of a change. Or oh, now if I exercise a bit more, they'll make yeah. even more change. And they kind of reinforce each other and, and make each other stronger. It sounds kind of like that. Is that, is that something that you think may have been Definitely. the case? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think I'm a, I'm such a sucker for self-comparison as in, mm. I think a lot of the time I don't necessarily compare myself to other people it's comparing myself to myself. So it might be something like I saw a photo of myself pre-back operation, you know, um, beginning of secondary school. And I was literally like a beanpole. I mean, Mm. I ate like a horse, but I was tiny through no sort of trying to eat less or exercise. That's just how I was. And I think, you know, I then got sort of 16, 17 and I might see a photo of myself. I think, Oh goodness me. Wow. Okay. I've changed a lot since then. You know, I know I can be like this. Let's sort of get back to their kind of thing. And that didn't help. I don't, I wasn't necessarily at that point comparing myself to any body else Mm. more my myself which again sort of reiterates for me how it was it did begin as such an internal um force I guess yeah yeah and that that's really that's kind of that's really interesting because you know I think um not many people that I've spoken to with um with experience of an eating disorder talk about it being purely internal and it seems very much so with you um and there you know a lot of the time people talk about that comparison. I think social media is one of the thing that always comes up. And we talk about the fact that the, this kind of physique comparison comparison is, is an issue. But so for you, but for you, it was actually your, you know, your ideal body that you, you had in your head that you were trying to obtain almost was the old you, the younger you. Um, Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. So we've kind of gone off tangent here from the, from the set questions, but to continue with your story, I think you just got up to when you were starting to go to university and we both went to the same university, Durham university before we go on actually quickly, what college were you? We've discussed this slightly at the start, but I didn't actually hear what you were. Um, I went to St. Chad's. Okay, St. Chad's. I, I have a nice, I have a nice memory of St. Chad's. You're the one with the really nice bar. Well, wait, no, actually, you're as you you're the one right at the end of the. Um, I can't remember what it was called. Are you oh, you're yeah. a, you're either the one with the chandeliers in the yeah. bar, or you're the one with the like little pub. Uh, we don't have chandeliers. So I'm pretty sure we're the pub one. We're, little pub one. Yeah, we're it right. Was, opposite the cathedral with the quad yeah yeah 
both both <laughs> wonderful ones. I I love I love the the. It had a very similar bar to. I know we're just talking about bars, and this is really the theme of the podcast here. But um, it had a very similar <laughs> bar to Van Milder, which is where the college that I was at, and I always love I loved that like kind of pubby vibe. Um, yeah. yeah, I've no, I've I made like a fool that. made a fool of myself in that in that bar far too many times. <laughs> uh, anyway. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Dangerous yeah yeah we'll move on from this quickly and so <laughs> university life um how how did that play its toll so um I think it's probably good to mention that I sort of entered university not in a great place with my eating um, yeah. when I did my a-levels um my eating habits went quite downhill in the sense that I joined the gym in year 12 um, I'd never been to a gym before mm-hmm. um, and I guess the ease of going to the gym when you had you know half days when you're in sick for me have free periods and all that kind of thing um, I got into habit of going to the gym at first it was three times a week which is not necessarily anything to worry about and then suddenly mm-hmm. it was every day and then you know what I ate got less and less um, to the point I remember and actually a lot of my friends used to say this because it was sort of at the point where they recognized that something wasn't quite right I'd sort of just bring an apple into school for my lunch and that was it mm. um and that was quite um noticeable from my friends I guess yeah. um so at that I I sort of ASs were okay but I really struggled with my A levels um my anxiety was through the roof some exams I felt like I just couldn't sit I couldn't revise I just had this huge mental block and the whole year 13 experience for me wasn't great to be honest. Um, so I, I thank God, oh well, thank goodness my ass is that I managed to get, a, you know, okay grades A level, but it was not a good time. And my parents had noticed that my eating and exercise habits had changed and I had lost weight for sure. Um, and people started commenting on my weight, but truthfully, I also agreed with my parents and we thought it was the stress and anxiety of A-levels that was sort of put me in this not great place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then in, I think it must be 2015, um, I started Durham. Um, I absolutely loved it. Um, and at first it was quite an adjustment, A, living away from home, but um, St. Chad's is fully catered. So um, all my meals were cooked for me which again was quite a big anxiety to start with because I was very used to having all this control over what I ate when I ate Um, Mm. and I do remember sort of getting into the swing of it kind of thing you know I wasn't ever a massive drinker but I was sort of going out time to time and sort of I guess again air quotes as cheesy as it sounds but sort of living the student life Um, so I think the first term for me was fine great Um, but when I came home for Christmas in the first year um, I had noticed that I felt like I'd put on weight whether I had Mm. or not I don't know but I would look at photos of myself I don't know someone took a photo of me and my mates in the bar and I'd look at myself and think oh I don't like what I see um so when I went back after Christmas in first year I then very much sort of right I'm going to go to the gym I'm going to start eating healthily now like this is it um and from then on it wasn't great Mm. um when I came back the summer my mum and dad said, look, you, you really need some help with this. Um, you've lost so much weight, you know, you can't sort of carry on um, the way you are. Um, so that's when I went to see a private um, uh, psychologist, psychiatrist, I can't mm. remember which, which she was. Um, and at that point she diagnosed me with disordered eating rather than an eating disorder. Okay. Um, and I used to go and see her once a week. This was sort of during the summer holidays um, in between first year and second year. Um, and it definitely helped. I think in hindsight, I needed something a bit more rigid and having been through CBT with OCD and then further along the line with anorexia, CBT is what I needed. But at the time it was it was good and it definitely did help. Um, uh, yeah, so that was sort of that. And then I guess the real turning point for me was when I went into second year, um, I lived out of college. So um, in 
chads in particular we live in in first year live out in second year and then you get the option to come back again in third year and when I say live in live in the college so it's, it's sort of like halls I guess um so yeah I then went back to uni lived with three girls um and for me again it was that having that control over what I ate I suddenly suddenly just decided okay I can eat less and less and less and I'm losing more and more weight I used to get up and go to the gym every morning and it was just this cycle that sort of just kept going um to the point where I then came home for Christmas that year and I was in such a bad way um that I decided I say I we collectively my parents and I decided that it wouldn't be wise to go back to uni so I sort of officially um dropped out with the plan of retaking second year the following year um, sorry sorry to butt in um yeah. what what was it that like you, know, you say you you and your parents both all decided that it was probably best you didn't what was it that in particular i know you said you're in a bad way but do you mind going in, in a bit yeah more? of course um i mean i had lost a lot of weight yeah, i okay. was seriously seriously underweight um mm. and it it i was just very very poorly i okay. was completely obsessed about food i a lot of my relationships were being damaged, I guess. Um, you know, it's it's not fair on friends, especially my housemates, to be living with someone that was struggling so much. Um, yeah. As as you can, you will probably resonate, you become, when you're in such a all-consuming place of an eating disorder, you become very, very selfish and you, you can't see out of that bubble. Mm. And it's not a, for me, it wasn't a conscious decision of being selfish it was just an automatic sort of reaction yeah um so so, there's so much stress around what you're doing and everything you have to do that it's it's almost like how can how could you possibly have the energy to deal with other people absolutely absolutely and that's such a good way of explaining it because it's it's quite hard to explain to someone that hasn't suffered the amount of energy it takes to even just sit you know because all these thoughts constantly in your brain every little thing you do each day is like a mountain to climb yeah if you're not thinking about what you're eating then you're thinking about what you're going to eat in a min and then if you're not thinking about that you think about what you're gonna eat tomorrow and then you know can i do some exercise in a second will i be able to if i eat this or i ate that earlier am i allowed to be it's just constant yeah absolutely no and it's it's not a nice place to be um and you know it's it is really it's sad and it, it is a struggle um so combining all of that, I sort of stepped off the train when I came home um, at Christmas and bless my mum, she just burst into tears when she saw me because mm. there was just nothing of me. I, you know, was wearing, you know, tiny leggings that were completely baggy on me. It was, I can imagine how heartbreaking it must have been. Um, so at that point, and um, sort of December, January, um was sort of my worst points in terms of when I say worst I guess the the mental health aspect didn't improve at the same rate as health wise in the sense that that was when I was on my lowest weight Mm. and when I so I was my mum and dad took me to the GP and they said look we need some help um and I was referred to the Maudsley Hospital. Um, I've actually only recently discussed this with my mum and dad um, after they'd listened to my podcast with Hannah um, that there was actually a bit of a mess up with them transferring me to the Maudsley in the sense that they had put something, one of the sort of criteria for an eating disorder they had misread on my notes, which meant that I wasn't, I needed to be urgently seen at the Maudsley, but they didn't put me through as urgent. They put me as something else. So it took my mum, bless her, sort of on the phone raging um, for her to get me in. Um, and during this process, again, I was corrected by my mum. I thought it was when I'd arrived at the Maudsley. When I saw the GP, um, they did all the weighing, they did all the blood pressure. And he said, um, currently you are at risk of organ failure. Um oh, wow. And the way he just said it, so when I say bluntly, I don't mean he had no consideration about my feelings, but there was no other way to say it. Yeah. And he did need to scare me a little bit because to say I was unaware is not quite true, but 
at that moment I was doing well at being thin and doing lots of exercise so in my sort of eating disorder brain I was doing quite well um which sounds so ridiculous now but it's sort of how you end up thinking um and when he said that to me it was suddenly like oh my goodness and he said if you lose any more weight and he said and I mean any more weight he basically said you could die and when someone says that to you I definitely didn't process it at the time because how how do you process that you know I was still walking I was still talking like I wasn't lying in hospital you know and that was a big big wake-up call um and then January time um I had my first appointment at the Maudsley Hospital in London um and my treatment journey started there um so yeah that's sort of my journey pre-treatment yeah wow um and I kind of I kind of want to um roll back a little bit to your time at Durham because I, I imagine um and I know you spoke a little bit about this with Hannah as well but this mm-hmm. you know the stress of being at Durham University which is quite a like you know it's a, I, I know the atmosphere there is very hard working you have everyone ha- everyone's a high achiever um and I I I've didn't realize that you had been um, diagnosed with OCD as well. So, you know, having those thoughts and having the eating disorder thoughts and having the extra, and on top of this stress with uni, that must've been like horrendous. It was, it, it was really tough actually. Um, when I joined university, I had, as you said, so many sort of things to contemplate. Um, the OCD was, although now, I don't want to say I'm recovered because there are definitely things in my day-to-day life that I do that I now just call my quirky habits because they've sort of just been part of me. But my OCD is so, so, so much better than how it was. But when I went to uni, there's all the sort of, oh my goodness, I'm living in different accommodation. I'm going for meals with everyone. There was a lot of that. And then, yeah, obviously the the eating thing. Um, And then, as you said, going to somewhere like Durham where you know there are a lot of high achievers you are surrounded by high achievers Mm -hmm. um and I said this in a previous podcast I I went from I just went to my local comprehensive secondary school and really loved it to be fair but went from being sort of top sets you know um probably you know one of the higher achievers in the top set to then going to somewhere like Durham where I was very much bottom of the rank and Mm -hmm. I didn't expect to be anything different, but it was a little bit of a, oh my goodness, I'm not used to this environment. Um, and it was very, very daunting to think yeah. that I, not necessarily I was no longer the best, because I never thought that. It was just that I was used to working hard and getting the grades yeah. I wanted. Yeah. And then you go to somewhere like Durham where you work hard and you put absolute all in you don't always get a fantastic grade or whatever and I was like oh my goodness this is tough um and yeah that pressure I think definitely played into my mental health for sure yeah and I don't know if you're the same but I know that in a lot of eating sort of cases and, and with my personal experience they're very competitive and you tend to be someone who like you said yourself you compare yourself I suppose you compare yourself to yourself but um for me you know I the way my eating and exercising was all around being that I had to be that I had that guy I used to I saw a counselor during whilst I was at Durham as well for my second and third year um, and I saw he was he was like um, stationed at, in Durham um, and we I used to always talk with him about this good George and bad George and good George was the one that I wanted everyone to see and I portrayed to everyone and that was the one that ate in a again air quotes healthy way and was exercising all the time you know I was a, I was a personal trainer at results fitness gym you might have okay. heard of it um and you know I so I was I wanted to be that guy and I wanted to be the guy who was achieving well as well and yeah. like you say you know at Durham sometimes you put in everything and you know you you go from being what you thought was a relatively intelligent person and all of a sudden you're getting average marks you know for, for your absolute best um and it that was so stressful for me no absolutely and I think it sort of plays into my um obsessive nature in the sense that I felt like I no longer had that much control over 
my marks or how I was doing because I felt like I would give my all to everything and sometimes I'd get an okay mark and sometimes I think oh my goodness that's not great um and also as as we've just said being surrounded by high achievers constantly mm. it's so it, I mean it's natural to compare what you get but I thought oh my goodness like, how are these people getting these marks it's just ridiculous yeah. and I think my sort of lack of control in that area and just generally finding studying really difficult um I found the work I was doing really hard I found lectures really hard I used to sometimes go to lectures sit there for an hour and think I have no clue what's just happened and yeah. you know there's people in the front row asking questions and I'm like how have you even had time to you know comprehend what has just happened and you're art you have questions I'm like um and I think the sort of loss of control in that sense I don't know whether made me is the right word but I sort of I transferred my need for control over something into what I was eating and my exercise very much subconsciously and this is very much in hindsight um sort of how I'm thinking about this but my sort of need for control, I think, was then transferred into, you know, I sort of, as you said, I wanted to be the girl that went to the gym every day. I wanted to be the girl that ate really healthily and was sort of really, you know, slim and all that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I think that element really played a part in how rapidly, I guess, I went downhill at university. Yeah, and it does just kind of, it kind of snowballs, doesn't it, and just becomes this yeah it becomes it sneaks up on you like you said it's so steady and progressive that all of a sudden it just is a thing um you you mentioned um before about cbt and you said oh you know you think that's what you wanted was was the c did you go into cbt mm. after uni yes yeah, so um so i had cbt for my ocd when i was i guess i think it was about in year nine um i then had this therapy with a private um psychiatrist um and at that point it I didn't want CBT I hated therapy everything about it I hated when I had to do it for OCD so this was very much a push from my parents um when I say I think I needed it I think again this is very much in hindsight and I think if I'd had a more structured approach maybe I could have caught it earlier but again at that point it, it was I knew I had you know a problem I guess but it wasn't serious enough to go any further um so yeah so I then that Christmas when I came home we decided that I wasn't well enough to go back to uni especially sort of when the doctor said you're seriously seriously ill yeah. um so I started CBT at the Maudsley I want to say maybe beginning of February end of January um and yeah, that's, that's what I, I started. We use the program mantra, um, which I think is fairly common amongst um, um, sort of treatment regimes. Um, and yeah, I used to go up there every week um, to see um, a psychologist who was lovely um, and had to deal with me being um, quite difficult and not very nice, I, I think. But yeah, that's that that was my the start of my second round of cbt um, yeah. so I'm, i feel i'm quite an expert in that area I, now. I, was ju I was just about to say you're, you're quite the expert so i'm just i'm wondering you know for someone listening who might be apprehensive mm. about doing cbt maybe they've been offered it and aren't sure what would you say to them um i would say it's so natural to feel scared um for me i think it was the stigma surrounding going for therapy because mm. in my mind that was wow you're you're mentally ill that's why you're going to therapy and yes I was mentally ill in both cases for OCD and my eating disorder but I was still me that it was still me and and just like you if you broke your leg you go to the hospital and you'd have a cast and then maybe you'd have physio afterwards my brain was a bit broken and so I was going to have CBT to help fix that so definitely um don't be worried about what it might say about you going to cbt because i mean i can say from personal experience that without it i definitely wouldn't be here um and it is challenging i'd be lying if i said it wasn't the whole idea of cbt well sort of some of the premises that it challenges your behaviors 
and you've got to step outside your comfort zone in order to overcome these fears these habits so you have to do things that you do not want to do and it is the most terrifying thing in the whole wide world but once you go through the course and you sort of look back on all the things that you had to challenge yourself with you think wow I've come such a long way and that thing I was sort of challenged with at the beginning that's just sort of part of my everyday life now you know I guess one of my things was I avoided any carb ever mm. and you know I then started sort of inc incorporating carbohydrates into my meals and I got to the end and that was not such a big deal anymore um so it, it is it is tough there's no way about it but for me I would not change it for the world mm. and that yeah I love I love that um it's kind of a realistic message that it is difficult but um you should I, I i i'm such a i've never been through um like cbt but i've i've been seeing a counselor for probably collectively three or four years now and i still still do i see um my counselor who i won't name but uh, every every friday and i i like if i can afford it i will pay for counseling for the rest of my life because i love it i am like i literally some the like last last week it was just 45 minutes of me talking to him about philosophy because i was just like it's just like you it's a person who you pay to just like you know reflect your thoughts back on them and um like maybe i'm maybe it's just i'm egotistical but i really enjoy someone listening to me so so like no, intently no i can i really resonate with that actually no completely yeah so um i guess you know you said that you're you wouldn't classify yourself as fully recovered but you're in a, a better place and my, my question is you know, how have things progressed since then how how is the eating and, and exercise as well because that seemed to play a, a big part for you how, how are you feeling about those things yeah um i mean i was quite lucky in the sense that when i was referred to the maudsley i was actually put on a study um and actually for the life of me i can't remember what it is um, which is really bad because it was a fantastic study, but mm. it was basically, or actually no, it was called the Freed study. Um, and the study looked at if um, young people were given treatment for their eating disorders um, as soon as possible, as in if the gap between being diagnosed with an eating disorder and treatment was short, they were trying to prove that that meant recovery was quicker and you could mm. get back to a, I wouldn't say recovered state, but you know, recovery would be quicker. Um, which meant that when I was put on this study, I literally within a week or two, this was this was after my mum sort of raging down the phone to them because someone had got it wrong down the line. But once I was there, it meant that I was straight in, had my first initial consultation, and the week after I was on the program. So I'm very lucky in that sense that I guess circumstances meant that there was this study happening at that time. Um that's at so, King's College London, isn't it, that study? Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Um, so in that sense, I I was lucky in the sense that I hadn't actually, although the build-up to my diagnosis was quite a while, I wasn't at a very low or a dangerously low weight for very long. So when I started recovery, these habits that I had formed, um, I guess comparatively speaking to other sufferers who have had it for much longer these habits weren't as ingrained in my brain and my routine as they could have been which meant actually reversing them and working on them um was don't get me wrong it was hard and I hated every minute of it but um I guess the transition back to um recovery was or a recovered state quicker um than I guess for a lot of people um so I had therapy and sort of week on week um I would definitely see improvements in myself um there were weeks when it was harder and for me the concept of putting on weight was the worst thing in the world because they she'd they put me on the scale every time I went and it was just scary and I hated looking at the numbers because it was just that was that was my fear my whole eating disorder fear was the fear of gaining weight so to literally watch it in front of your eyes mm. it was horrific um but as I gained more weight and my body became healthier 
the thoughts became easier to deal with. And I guess because I was no longer in this starving survival mode and my body actually had a bit more life in it. And I would say as the journey went on, gradually it got a bit easier, a bit easier. And I should also point out here that recovery, as I'm sure many people have said before, is is definitely not linear. So although I guess generally it got easier, there were weeks that I'd fly in, be really proud of myself and sort of, yeah, I'm doing this really upbeat. And like, I'm going to do this. And then the next week I'd come in and be like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to get on the scales. I would sit there and just cry and not take anything on board. I wouldn't listen. Um, so, you know, that's just sort of a note that if you're going through this or you have been through it or you're going to go through this, that's completely normal. It's not linear yeah. and you're human after all. Um, so, yeah, so I finished. The idea was that unless I sort of, unless my psychiatrist was happy with me, um, and that I was in a healthy enough state, um, only then would, would I go back to uni. And so that was actually quite a big drive for me was to get back to uni because I thought, wow, I've worked so hard all these years at school to get the A-levels I needed to go to my first choice university to do the course that I loved. I'm not going to let this silly demon in my head, you know, cause me to drop all of that. Mm. Um, so went back to university and redid second year and from then on it's I think it's relative because from then on I have been so much better than when I was at my worst but there have been times where I very much I guess my recovery has been sort of in waves I've gone through periods where it's been great and then I've sort of got into bad habits again and mm -hmm things have been so great and for me I, I actually I've never been diagnosed with it but I definitely started forming habits of binge eating disorder which mm -hmm. I know is quite common after other eating disorders um so this sort of cycle of weight fluctuation became a thing I then sort of would do the whole binge or overeat I'd say and then restrict and then you know that that sort of played a part in my recovery um and that sort of the years following the end of my CBT mm -hmm. the wave started off quite big and then as the years have gone on the waves are smaller so the difference between the ups and the downs is less and I would now say that I'm on more of an even kiln and don't get me wrong I sometimes have days where I do struggle and I overthink what I eat and sometimes you know somebody will say to me oh do you fancy going for a drink tonight and it takes me a second to sort of think about it because I'm like oh my goodness this is unplanned this means drinking alcohol and okay well when am I going to eat my dinner and and now I guess I have the toolkit is what I like to call it yeah. from the CBT to think about that you know think about the situation let the thoughts settle and then I can go back um yeah. and equally there are days where I do I am struggling and I just say to my friends you know what I'm having a, I'm struggling a bit at the moment can we take a rain check on this I would love to go for a drink with you but maybe not today and that's and that's totally fine too um I guess to answer your question I I've definitely come a long long way um but would be lying if I said everything was perfect because that is that is the unfortunately the nature of a mental health disorder is it, it is still up and down but I'm, I'm lucky in the sense my ups and downs are are smaller if that makes sense yeah and I think I think that's what it's all about I like I know some people do say that they're fully recovered and and like props to them I'm, I'm sure that's the case but for, for my my personal experience is very similar to you in the fact that um you know my 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 positive moments or my the times when I'm happy last a bit longer now when the the times when I'm you know upset and and fall into these eating and exercise behaviors last less amount of times and happen less often yeah. um and I think you know I spoke about this on the podcast many times but um, apologies listeners I'm going to do it again um <laughs> yeah I think you know eating disorders are on a on a spectrum you know there's on the one side is the is completely healthy mindset completely fine about food and exercise whatever and the other side is the full eating disorder and I think you know um, when you're you're experiencing eating disorder you're just kind of hovering around this this negative side more often or like you're usually um and it's about um you know adding in um 
support systems, control mechanisms, other things that you can use to help drag yourself towards that left-hand side and also identifying and challenging the stressors that are trying to pull you towards that right-hand side. But there's still going to be moments where something will come in that you haven't prepared for, or even if you have, you know, it's just something that it's your natural, it's your body's response. You've built it over years of this is like, this is what I do. I, I change my eating or my exercise. Those things are going to come and they're going to pull you over to that right hand side for a bit. But then, like you said, you have your toolkit, these supporting things, whatever. And you go, okay, let me think about this. Let me write this down. Let me do blah, 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 whatever it is. And you come back over towards that left side. Is that kind of what you Absolutely. experience? Yeah. No, a hundred percent. And I think that's a really good way of explaining it as well, that it's not necessarily that you're on an up or you're on a down. You can be sort of somewhere in the middle sort of experiencing all these things. Yeah. And I think it ought to be worth saying that, you know, it's great when you have that realisation that this is a thought that isn't necessarily yourself. This is an eating disorder thought. And you think, okay, and you can process it and you can deal with it. Mm. But you don't always recognise that that's sort of an eating disorder thought, which mm. is another challenge. So I guess it's sort of, you know, it is, it is learning from experience. And when you get to know yourself and you, you get to know, I guess, the thoughts that can sort of come and go, um, things, things are easier, but I guess, you know, it's no day is the same and my eating disorder still will come in and try and trick me and give me this thought that I believe is mine. And then it's only when I'm like, actually, no, hold up. I do want to go for a drink with that person because this is my life and Mm. I want to see that person go for a drink, you know, and it's easier now. And I've had a lot of practice over it, but you know, it's, it's, it is difficult. It's hundred percent difficult. And I guess for anyone out there in recovery or a period where they've gone through treatment and they're sort of a similar sort of period, um, there's no denying that it's, it's, you know, it is difficult and it's okay to struggle sometimes on days don't beat yourself up for it and, and don't think oh my goodness you know am I going downhill is this is this you know all my treatment is, that, is it been worthless completely not you're human mm. everyone has rough days you know without without a mental um health disorder or not um don't don't beat yourself up at all um but you know just try and remember what you've learned and and try and for me it was it was um really helpful to sort of separate the thoughts of Katie and eating disorder and once I sort of would be able to recognize these eating disorder thoughts it was a lot easier to say to myself okay these are the demons inside my head they're doing their thing today I'm going to sit down try and process it and you know fight them and go for that drink um mm. so yeah I guess that was <laughs> again a bit of a tangent for me but that was sort of my sort of dealing with it <laughs> no that that's brilliant it, it makes it reminds me of one of the biggest revelations I had from my my first counselor in Durham was that my thoughts can be wrong and they they actually um your thought could actually turn out to be a negative influence on you I think when yeah you know before you kind of recognize it if a thought comes and you or, or even just like an urge to do something like oh I, I really it feels like i really want to do exercise for example yeah. um you feel you just think well that must be positive like aren't you know, i'm really yeah. motivated to do it like oh they must be great but to recognize that actually sometimes your thoughts can be maybe not um consciously but they're having it in for you because actually it's going to end up in a it's going to be it's going to you know lower my mood or you know whatever it is um coming to the the other kind of epiphany of like oh shit my brain can actually be a a dick sometimes like that that was a nice moment (laughs) yeah no for sure and I I really yeah can relate to that a lot um and it is it's a weird thing to think because you think yeah but my thoughts are my thoughts I Mm. I believe my thoughts but it's amazing what your brain can trick you and the influence an eating disorder can have over your brain. Um, and I've said this before, and I, I quite like the analogy. I often have to think of these thoughts as junk mail and they come in and they're just junk and you just have to let them be. And then they'll still they'll fly out. Don't give them any attention. Don't fight them because that gives them the attention they want. Don't fight them. Let them sit, let them be there. And soon they'll go away just like junk mail. Um, and for me, that's, that's quite a nice way of thinking about it that, yes they've entered my brain but they're not my thoughts they're Mm. just you know they're not my emails they're just junk mail that I didn't want I Um, absolutely love that that works (laughs) on so many levels as well because like I've I've, I always think that um part of 
recovering from an eating disorder is recognizing your stresses and rec because sometimes you don't even know what they are like something that you think is good for you isn't so you know the same way as like your email box like has an algorithm to find out what's junk mail and what isn't yeah, that's what it is we're just you're just you're sorting out that algorithm that's oh it's amazing you blow my mind <laughs> <laughs> i'm just one big sort of you know mail system <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly we're all just we're all just inboxes everyone we're just <laughs> inboxes um so I, I kind of, we're, um, we've been speaking for nearly an hour now, so I'm going to kind of wrap, start to wrap it up. But just for the last last question, well, before I do these final three questions, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, I know now that you, so, you know, you did your master's in nutrition and everything, and you've set up this business. I think it's with a friend, if I'm right. Um, yeah. you know, how does your eating disorder experiences um, make that difficult for you or does it help or you know because I I set up a nutrition business myself and I did some exercise and coaching nutrition stuff um and it was difficult for me um and I I quite struggled with it and I had to stop so I'm interested in in your perspective yeah um so actually I feel like I'm quite lucky in the sense that doing my master's in nutrition really, really helped me. Mm. Um, I had said to myself um, that I wasn't going to do the master's if I didn't truly think I was ready for it or in a mental state to be able to do it. I didn't want to go and do this master's um, and it sort of just exacerbate my sort of eating disorder traits or anything that I was currently struggling with. Um, so when I was sort of in my final year of Durham and I was deciding to apply, I had to think long and hard about it. And I came to decision that I was ready and this is what I wanted to do. Um, and I think I'd always been quite sad that I've always, as I said, I played loads of sport. I always love doing sport. I love fitness. I'm also genuinely interested in food and I'm a massive foodie. I love you know, the science behind it and healthy eating in general. And it used to make me sad that my eating disorder made me obsess over these things and turned it into a negative. And I was sort of determined that this was not going to be a negative anymore. This is what I enjoyed. And it's my hobby. It's my passion. And it's going to remain that way. Um, so, yeah, going through my master's, actually, I was probably in a really stable state at that point. Um, for me, I enjoyed learning the actual facts and the actual science from papers that have just been published and from lecturers that are experts in their field. And for me, it, I was able to debunk all the myths I had in my head. You know, mm. I shouldn't be eating carbohydrates. I shouldn't be eating, you know, past this time and all these things that you don't even realize you follow. Or you don't even, you don't even realize you have a bit of a thing about it. Um, and for me doing the masters, gave me that you know I was like actually eating disorder I have the science you know I can back this up with evidence so you can you know shove off now you know and that was oh my god I felt so powerful I was like wow you can rule the world now <laughs> no. um so that was really great um and so yeah my friend Ema and I who was also on my course at UCL we set up um EK Nutrition um and we absolutely love it. And we really enjoy being able to share evidence-based, um, you know, posts and information and recipes. And I think for me, it was, I feel like I'm giving back a bit because I wish I'd had an account like the one Ema and I run when I was really struggling with all these sort of thoughts and myths inside my head that I thought were true because we try and do it in a way that, um, you know, it's easy for people to take on board and is easy to read and it's, you know, approachable. And um, so, yeah, I've actually, it's, I feel like it's given me a lot of strength and I, I guess power in the way I use my interests and I've turned it, I hope I've turned it into something positive rather than my eating disorder turning my passions and hobbies into a negative. So I think I'm quite lucky in that sense. Yeah, so I think it's amazing that you've managed to manage to do that, and now you're kind of helping people, you know, doing doing what you're doing. And I, I looked at your your page, and I love it. I gave it a follow because I think it's yeah, I think it's brilliant. Oh, so, um, yeah, thank thank you for setting it up, and I hope I'll make sure I tag it in the description below so people go and go and give it a follow, go check it out. Yeah. Um, 
so we have now officially been speaking for an hour, I believe. Um, <laughs> it's gone fast. Sorry, it's gone I fast. For England. I'm, I do apologise. No, it's brilliant. I, this is kind of the, the perfect amount of time I, I wanted. So I ask three questions to everyone who comes on and I like to put them on the spot with these. So oh, okay. um, the first question for you is, are you ready? Okay. A person, either real or fictional, who inspires you? fictional that inspires me um it's okay this is a really cheesy answer and it's no more famous um it's actually my grandma oh that's good that's <laughs> um, good she is an amazing woman and her positivity is just unreal um mm. you know she's had her struggles through life just like anybody else um unfortunately she lost her husband so my grandpa a long time ago and way way before it should have all happened and she's had to live quite a big portion of her life on her own but she never moans throughout covid she has never moaned once where she had to sit indoors on her own all the time never moaned she's up for everything she can't wait to go back up to london and oh i just think that positivity and optimism is just if i can be a fraction of her when i'm older then I've made it. <laughs> what a, uh, she sounds amazing. She sounds absolutely amazing. We we often get um, the people who people mention it tends to be like, oh, the person is very positive and has this like really nice outlook on life. So yeah. maybe that's a, maybe that's a sign. That's what we should all try and do. Um, the second question is, I'm going to have to cut this out because I've forgotten what it is. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you would have thought by this point I would know them off by heart. But <laughs> we're rolling with it; it's fine. <laughs> I don't. So maybe I'll leave this in. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I'm I'm crap. Okay, here we go. Question two: <laughs> A time that you didn't like. Look, I don't know how I forgot this one because this is literally my favorite one. Um, <laughs> a time that you didn't like looking back, but now you know that positives came from it. Oh goodness. Um I think it will have to be uh my year out of uni. Um mm. I didn't enjoy it. I it made me feel like a failure. Um all my friends were at uni, nobody was at home with me. Um I yeah, it it's, it was tough, it was horrible. Um I love being busy and suddenly I wasn't going to uni and I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. However, that year gave me the time and I was lucky enough that I had this choice. I had a home mm. to go back to and I'm very privileged in that sense and I completely understand that, but it gave me the time to fully be selfish and focus on me. And I'm lucky that my parents gave me that as well and supported me throughout. I mean, I've said this on previous podcasts, but without them, I wouldn't be here. Um, but that year out gave me the time and space, I guess physically and mentally, to really commit myself to recovery um, and to, I guess, start loving myself again, which equally I hate. And I'm literally like, why am I such a cringe? But um, it is sort of learning to self-acceptance, but also just be able to um, sort of, oh, I don't know, just embrace, embrace and celebrate yourself, I guess is mm. what I'm trying to say. So that's that's definitely a time that I absolutely hated but looking back I'm so glad it happened yeah and I'm really glad you mentioned that because um I think there's there's so much pressure around that kind of linear way of you know, leaving school going to uni going to master's and whatever um, and I'm the same I I um you know I I I dropped out my A-levels I went to culinary school for a year um and then you know i finished that and then i did a b-tech and then i went to durham and then you know so you know i i am exactly the same i i did um i took like years out and did all sorts of um yeah. weird stuff myself and i think i learned so much from doing all these little things that you know that i'm i'm now kind of happy that that it that that you know i didn't go as, as smoothly as maybe at the time but yeah thank you so much great answer um, and like I said, it's my favorite question because I always think it's wonderful, like hearing that, you know, you, for people who are listening, who might think, 
who might be going through a difficult time to know mm-hmm. to hear all these people say oh i went through a shit time and actually now looking back i'm really glad it happened i think yeah. that's that's such a nice thing to hear so i can't believe i forgot that question oh my god um <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> anyway question three the final one um is a phrase to live by um phrase to live by okay so this is actually one of my favorite quotes actually um and it's it's not about waiting for the storm to pass it's learning to dance in the rain which i think really summarizes my recovery journey in the sense that sometimes it feels easier to let things, you know, sort themselves out and everything will be fine. And, you know, but actually you've got to learn to, you've got to learn to live through the shitty times and, you know, knowing that there's a rainbow ahead um, is sort of what motivated me to get through it. Um, And, you know, it is, it is really tough and there's, there's no way, out of that unfortunately I wish there was but there is no way out but if you if you learn to learn to dance in the range if you learn to live through the tough times it makes the brighter times even brighter mm, that's wonderful I, I know somebody who has a um like a painting with that written on it um, on their wall and I, I for life of me I can't remember who it was but yeah it's fantastic I I, I remember it. obviously I love the quote because I remember that that painting very distinctively yeah. but um yeah thank you very much um so Katie we are at the end of the podcast thank you so much for coming on I hope you enjoyed yourself yes no thank you so much for having me on it was it was great I'm sorry I sort of rambled on forever <laughs> no I love I love a rambler we love a rambler here I am like <laughs> Captain Ramble so it's nice to have someone else take over from me. Um, (laughs) So thank you for doing that. Everyone listening at home, thank you so much again for making it through the episode and I hope to see you at the next one. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to that episode. Here at Maya Minds, we're trying to raise awareness for all the things that we speak about in this podcast. So please, if you can, give it a share. Each and every one of you has the potential to help us with that. Also, if you want to check out mayaminds.com, please do. You can see all our social media things on there. And we'd love to have you contributing more as a part of our community. Thank you.